Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I am your host, Janet Denton-Howes, and it's an absolute delight to have you here. I'm a marriage and intimacy educator, as well as a creator of the Wanting It More program, which has helped thousands of women who are married to men want and enjoy it more in the bedroom. You know, having low desire was something that I personally struggled with for years in my marriage, so I absolutely get it all. You are not alone. Just a heads up, I use all the words in this podcast, so if you've got little ears around or you're in public setting, you may want to pop in some earbuds. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. I'm really excited to bring another wonderful conversation to you all. <laughs> My guest is laughing right now. You can't see her. Um, I, we were just doing a little preamble and I, I love to just go into these conversations not knowing where they're going to go. I really like the idea of the informality of it and that people are just listening into a regular conversation. So I'm really excited to welcome Diane to the podcast. Diane is a recent graduate of Wanting It More. And as we know, it's a lifelong process. So same with me, I'm in the lifelong journey of learning. So um, Diane, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about yourself? Thanks, Jana. Hi. <laughs> I am excited after taking the course. Um, I am in my 60s and I have three grown children that are doing pretty well in life, um, still married. And I have a very um, exciting passion for teaching. And that's what I do for a job. But I'm also a musician. So a lot of music affects me and my life. And I play music for um, a living. So semi-professional. Oh, that is so near and dear to my heart because one of my daughters loves music. She plays flute and band, and she's actually in London right now with a choir singing at big cathedrals. And yeah, so. How exciting. Yeah. yeah I'm a band director and um, I teach a choir for fourth and fifth graders. Oh, that's a great age. Yes. For, yeah, they've got that wonderment and curiosity still, and that delight and that youthfulness. Yeah, that's really great. Wow. And my parents are both teachers. So I'm feeling a, a nice kinship with you already. Lots Good. of things in common. So let's dive right into some of your history when it comes to sexuality in your current relationship, in your early days, whatever you feel like sharing. I find that this this part of these conversations are just so validating for women just to hear it finally said out loud because well we're used to having these conversations in whim these we know these conversations don't happen outside in the real world so to speak somehow women just don't talk about this stuff and uh i'm glad we can because i think it's really uh important and hopefully at some point, women can talk to each other about it. But I am still married after 33 years. I have had only one husband, but I met him and got married at about 30. So um, we've had a good amount of time together. When I was young, I was in the band. I did lots of things uh, on my own. I played in the symphony when I was single, and I knew nothing about physical relationships. I I uh, pretty much knew the minimum in high school and then in college, didn't learn a thing. And <laughs> then uh, post-college, I did some more um, schooling and kind of stayed out of real life and then started teaching 
still didn't know much. I didn't have anybody in my life that I really uh, thought was going to be a, a significant relationship. And then finally, when I was 30, I met my husband and then I had to um, assume he knew everything is basically um, where I was coming from. So you didn't have sexual experiences before you got married? I did have a couple in college and uh, I did the same thing. I assumed the guy knew what he was doing and that I was going to um, discover what this was all about. And uh, I, I liked a couple guys enough to do that. But it wasn't uh, wasn't high on my list of things to do some more of. <laughs> wasn't a great experience. No. <laughs> I feel like that is a common story. Those first experiences, high expectation and low results for a lot of us. I Did agree. your parents talk to you about sex at all? Did you receive any education from anywhere? Um, I went to church with my family and got all the... Um, classic religious messages about sex being bad and avoiding it. And um, my parents wanted to follow that same route. And when I did show signs of being interested in learning, my mother especially did not want me to do that. And she discouraged it. And she actually, uh, you know, for as old as I was when I left the house, she really kept her thumb on me. So I couldn't learn. Mm, yeah. And that was before the days of the internet. So you would really have to have access to what would it be like books or how were people learning? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And girlfriend conversations a little bit, but um, mostly it was are, am I be, am I being chased and am I running or um, am I not even interesting? That kind of thing. Uh, so it had a lot to do with the the um, what the boys were, what, how the boys were showing interest. Right. Right. And then there, that's usually split into a couple of categories, like the girls that get a lot of the attention, and then people like myself who maybe don't get all yeah she's saying me <laughs> yeah and then okay right and so the education one would receive is mostly in action if we would call that education but that's usually what's happening I'd agree and, and did that did that feel like did you feel bad about that? Did you, did you sort of watch other girls having experiences and you kind of want, or, or were you sort of happy not to get that type of attention? I was a little bit happy not to, because I felt like they were under some pressure. And also um, I was more of the fiercely independent kind of girl that um, I had my career path fairly early. It was going to be music no matter what. And so I had practice time and focused, you know, goal time to myself. And I used it that way. So I wasn't really feeling like I was lacking until, <laughs> until uh, thinking about getting married. Mm. I wonder if that was a bit of a um, safety for you 
You're thinking, yeah, you're nodding. Yes. 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 And in fact, I think a lot of um, students that I come across in music need that safety and use it and use it for that. And we were just talking uh, with my colleagues this morning and said, you know, some kids um, have the band as a choice and some kids need the band and they flourish there because other things are happening and the band is pretty positive. I could not agree more having a daughter in band. It seems to attract a certain type of kid, a little more creative, a little more quirky, a little more, you know, needing the support of, of sort of the outliers in the social setting. Not that it's, I think they are, but just in that sort of traditional school setting that we unfortunately see our kids going through these days. It's like instant friends too. At at some points in life, you're getting into a new school where you know maybe lots of uh, people, lots of kids are there and you don't know any of them. And then if you're in band, instant friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm so grateful that my daughter's in band, yeah. So then you had a couple of experiences that may have not been the best and then you met your husband. How did that whole thing go down? Well, I was new at that. You know, I didn't date a lot. So, um, but it was very exciting because I knew he was the kind of person that I could really care about. And I shared a lot of different, um, what would you call them, um, basics about our lives. And also, we were completely different in careers. So, we have some spice there. We we can share a little bit about each of our worlds. And that was lots of fun. And still is. Um, but, you know, I don't, you know, looking back, I don't think he was much more experienced than I was. So we were a little bit lambs in the, uh, <laughs> in the corral with nothing to do. I mean, no, no knowledge. Right. Did you wait until you were married to have sex or did you have sex before we did not wait and um I made that decision with no hesitation yeah so what was your first experience together like we'd had quite a few dates before that happened and they were always fun they were things like changing the oil in my Volkswagen bug and (laughs) um doing yard work at his house and things like that there was just so much fun. And one morning we were cooking breakfast and we were just there. We were ready to try a physical uh, experience and it was pretty good, but I, I just, I was so nervous and so pretty much afraid to scared. Do you remember what you were scared about? Um, scared of the lack of any experience, like what's going to happen. I, I I don't do well with not knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I got to have a little notice. I got to know <laughs> things can't just jump out at me. Right. So I'm guessing you had some expectations from sex scenes, from movies, or from com- you know, random comments from girlfriends. 
And so I'm guessing the expectation was some form of intercourse, like some genital connection. <laughs> and then yes, yes. I'm, I, I think the reason why I'm detailing this out is because we never talk about the details. Right. It's just sort of vague and strange. Yeah. And um, so did you talk through the experience or did you sort of silently fumble around? <laughs> <laughs> the like second one, we fumbled and we're not good at talking even now, but now that I've taken whim, boy, we have changed our ways, but, um, not talking made me even more nervous. And we were just kind of responding to each other in a very nice way. But, um, I was really having trouble identifying my feelings and how I was doing. And I figured he knew how he was feeling. And of course you you can see that in your husband. Um, we're using words. So, you know, his penis was big and he uh, was excited. And, uh, you know, I think most of my thoughts were on him. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That's what our culture s- focuses on. Right. So then uh, how did things progress in your relationship? Well, we had an up and down road. We we dated for a long time and uh, <clears throat> he was not ever married before either. He's uh, slightly older than I am and he still wasn't sure about me. He had a time where he was saying, I think I need to date other people. And oh, <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> and um, he came back in a really surprising way. I uh, hadn't even talked to me in months. And then um, asked me out to lunch and proposed on that day. Wow. And I looked at him in shock and said, well, what's different? What are you doing? <laughs> and it took quite a few weeks to work that out. Um, he explained and he had learned some things. And he thought he was looking for a perfect relationship or a perfect woman doesn't he said that doesn't exist and I'm really in love with you Mm. so I was the non-perfect choice (laughs) as we all are yes so um you know we had on off on off on off and anytime we were on we had sex um that was a pretty nice thing for us and it worked but I was totally not in it. I I did not experience any joy or pleasure or even awareness, really. Mm. So when you said that was a nice experience and it worked, what did you mean by that? It probably was nice for him and it worked for him. <laughs> That's probably what I meant. Um, and we didn't have any um, challenges. I mean, things, both of our bodies worked. So um it's just, I didn't realize what it could be. Mm, so when you say worked, it means that like orgasm, is that what you're mm, talking about? Uh, his, I don't think I had one for a long time. Mm. So when you say it worked for you, sorry about digging into this. Yeah, but I'm, just, I'm just curious, right? What, what did it mean to you that it worked? Were you experiencing some intimacy or connection or other than pleasure? Or maybe there was pleasure without orgasm. 
pleasure without orgasm and not connecting um, because it wasn't close, even though physically it was, it wasn't close enough, a connection emotionally and feelings and talking. And I think I say it in the sense of that old wives do this for their husbands kind of, kind of definition. Yeah. So then did you continue to do that for a while? That that sort of obligatory, dutiful experience Uh that so many of us find ourselves in. Yes. And we started having children quite soon because of our ages. And um, when you're pregnant, sex changes. um, It's harder, at least was for me. And I had three kids fairly quickly, 18, 19 months apart. So for all that time, not a lot going on. And then we're raising kids and we're exhausted and we're focused on them. And so when we had time together, which we did make some date time, um, we had occasional. But what really started coming up was when the kids left and we have an empty nest. Then things uh, became real for us in that I was hesitating. I did not want sex and he did. So I'll go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions about even just about being an empty nester. I feel like my kids are 14 and 15 right now. And I feel like that that's going to happen soon. That's sort of the next family milestone that we're going to go through. Did that make a big shift in your relationship in general? Huge. When you have kids in your house, whether they're even, we had some stay till they were about 21 because of a college in and out. And um, our youngest son was working and uh, he worked for a couple of years so he could earn money to go to college. And then when he's around, it's like, it's like uh, parenting. You, you don't have a lot of time. But when you're not doing their activities, when you're not attending things that they do, when you're not uh, focused on what they need all the time, even even as they get older, your mind is on that. At least mine was. And when they leave, it's just a huge, wow, there's we're not going to any baseball games. We're not um, (laughs) we're not attending things that they want us to come to. And we have all this time. After work, it was so strange to just sit around and try to decide what to do. Yeah. Did you find a level of like new self-awareness during that time? Well, unfortunately, I'm a pretty big workaholic and I brought a lot of work home. And I like to make a lot of innovation in my teaching. And so I'm always busily working on my next, uh, you know, what I need for my next lessons. And that took over my brain for quite a while. But uh, there came a point where I was thinking, uh, I'm working all the time. And I'm not paying any attention to my husband. And he's not paying any attention to me right now. So um, we better fix that. That's so interesting because you would think the transition from having kids leave the house. Now there's all this free time to 
be together and learn about each other more. But it's almost like habits are hard to break. And do you think you think there's a fear a little bit in there? Like, what will we find out when it's just us and no work and no kids? Not for me. I think what it is, is you pare your life down into these couples that have children that do things with you, like sports teams. We know all the couples on our son's sports teams. And once we didn't have that gathering to go to, we really lost track of all of our friends. And that's our fault. You know, staying connected is important. And had I do it, do it over again, I would keep those connections a lot, um, a lot more, a lot stronger. But um, besides that, um, the, the way that we pared our life down even further was we just focused so much on them. We still had some hobbies, but not together hobbies. He's not playing tennis with me and uh, he's not up in my selling room. And, you know, they were kind of single hobbies and he had his own too. So we weren't together then either. Yeah. John and I have been talking about that a little bit right now. And I can see how having kids would even exaggerate that because usually you do pair off one kid. One parent is doing the driving that evening and the other parent has a little bit of a free time. So maybe I should push for that canoe we were talking about, <laughs> get out in the water together. Yeah. Good yeah. idea. Yeah. All right. So going back to sex, so things changed a bit there. It sounded like you were, you were just like, I- I'm kind of done with it now. No, I, I hesitated to do that. I wanted to, I'll tell you, if he listens to this, um, you know, I, I think he won't be surprised, but, uh, it was so hard and we talked a lot about it because we finally broke the silence and had time. And I just didn't know anything to draw me in. I didn't have anything to draw me in and he kept wanting to, you know? And there's that after a while when you're saying no and there's a want on his point part, there's pressure. The pressure was starting to build up so hard. I was starting to be really um, a different person almost. How often were you having sex before that? Um, you know, when we first started talking about the discrepancy, we tried to have it once a week. And um, I started kind of keeping notes on when we did, because a lot of times he'd say, it's been a month and we, you know, and I'd say, no, no, it's been a couple of weeks. And it just felt all the time like it wasn't frequent enough for him. But okay, so the answer to the question is um, probably once a week. And then when that didn't happen, he was not happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky position to be in. So yeah, so what what happened in between that awareness that you were having and the start of whim like what the, what was the time period mm, that went on a couple of years as empty nesters and we got some books we tried listening different podcasts um we tried different approaches on our own um 
we talked about going to therapy together. I've done some on my own. He's done some on his own, but never together. Um, and we just kept hacking away at this. You know, we kept act, feeling like we were trying things, but nothing was helping. Mm-hmm. And did you feel at this point that it was a couple's pro- uh, pro- problem or did you feel like you were the one who had the issue? I felt like it was my problem, my issue, my um, lack of desire and that I was really um, causing the marital strife. And I'm guessing your husband maybe didn't come out and say it so directly, but maybe he went along with that narrative. Yes. Yes. But um, analytical as he is, he kept digging for things to maybe help this, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, solve the problem, ways to approach it. um, And it just wasn't hitting the mark. Do you remember any of those efforts? Uh, Okay. Yeah. One time we said, um, okay, it's going to be your choice, meaning me. I get to choose when we have sex and I get to let him know. And that didn't work because I thought it would be under my control and feel better, but I never wanted to. <laughs> yeah, relatable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what would be another one? Um, oh, I always seem to have trouble getting started. So we tried a certain way to start that would be a little more comfortable, but we still didn't talk enough. So I was always in that I'm anxious, I'm um, uncomfortable, maybe not safe. And uh, then if I, I felt like if I could get over that hump, then we could be good. But we never got over that hump. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Okay, so what happened? What then, <laughs> What miracle occurred, Diane? Whim, whim happened. Ta-da! The miracle of whim. Oh, my goodness. And I was really afraid to start that because um the pressure was really on me and since he found it i did not he was he found it online i did not know that really yeah and he um brought the computer over to me one night and he said take a look at this website this is really interesting and i looked all through it and i listened to everything and i had a two or three podcasts going that night. And I thought, God, this, this sounds really good, but I'm afraid I can't do it. And then we talked quite a bit more and um, decided together that it would be really good. And he said, this isn't just you. He actually took a lot of responsibility because of the, um, the things you teach about um, female um, inequality. And he felt like some of that was coming into play with us, that I was um, being maybe unjustly uh, given the whole problem. Fascinating. Because I have men write to me and ask me, how can I introduce the podcast or the program to my wife so that she doesn't feel like, again, I'm saying you're the problem, you need to fix it. Any tips, Diane? 
that's the thing that got me was for him to take some responsibility and say, you know, uh, this is both of us now and I'm going to do everything I can. And he's not a rule follower. So I was kind of wondering if that was true, but he said, I am going to do my best on this just like you will. And when I knew that he was invested in it, uh, I was the only one dragging my feet. So I didn't drag. I went for it. Do you remember having any fears? Like, what was I going to teach you? What was going to ask of you? What was going to happen? Did you have any fears around being talking about sex with a group? No, um, those were not my fears. My fears were um, the the thing about not knowing, you know, needing some notice, needing a little bit of like, maybe how about a um, outline of the course, you know, first, but no, uh, I was about, oh, what was I going to open up? What was, I have worked on myself for a lot of different years and ways and periods of life, but what was I going to have to open up? What was I going to have to be in total pain to face whatever teaching there was here? and emotional pain yes yes and um i didn't want to do that i i don't function in real life when i'm doing that but actually um you know having it have take during the summer with my taking it during the summer i had time to really focus on it and to give myself permission to do it so what's your review I mean, I'm guessing it was good. You're on the podcast, but yes, it it is such a glowing review. It is initially because I know we do go a little bit into history and week one in particular. Did you feel like that was a, a safe process for you? I did feel safe with it. And the best thing to do, um, best thing for me was doing the writing and journaling in, in the workbook and in my own ways, because it wasn't something that everyone in the group needed to hear, nor do you need to hear. It's what I need to recognize in myself. And that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. It, it made so much sense. I mean, things just went in a stepwise progression where I could understand little bits at a time. Yeah, that's my goal, because it can be such an overwhelming, like, where do you even begin, especially when you're coming in with this amount of years of history? Right. Did that feel big for you? Yes, it felt huge. It felt like, okay, now I am finally making sense of this big ball of emotions, maybe dysfunction, maybe um, things not working, the pressure that he's putting on me. I am now making sense out of it. I'm understanding where some of it comes from and that it isn't my fault. Um, um, and also that, uh, I think I lost my thought on that, that my last one, but, um, because there's writing and because there's learning and then there's action. I think the three things together really resonate with me. They really make me um, buy in and do it. And 
experience what, what there is to learn and experience. And how is the experience doing it with your husband since he was on board and he said, I'm going to participate and take responsibility? Part of me um, wanted to keep a few things to myself and not explain everything. And I did that. But um, now that at the end of all the weeks, we're talking more about those things, which is great because I feel more confident about that. But um, he had uh, what surprised me was he had no clue. He had no I covered it up. I made it look like there was just not a problem going on at all with me. And I don't know how I did that, but um, it's kind of a survival thing for me. I know how to dig in and get the job done and be a, what do you call it when you're just kind of almost a robot, you know? And in doing that, I didn't let him see or understand any of these parts of me. The the parts that didn't feel safe, the parts that um, shut down my intuition, the um, parts of me that did not want to say what I liked or didn't like because it wasn't safe. So I stuffed them. Yeah, you were taught well by culture to do that as a girl and as a woman. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that because men don't usually have that experience. Usually they will say what they need and what they're feeling and maybe not what they're feeling. Cause they, again, haven't been taught how to do that, but they won't tolerate things that feel uncomfortable. And so did you find that he had a, was it tricky for him to, to come to the realization that this was true, that this was your experience? Very tricky for him. Um, because first he had to come to grips with why weren't you showing me this? Why, why were you, it wasn't a hiding. It was a, um, a just not being true, not, not expressing myself. Um, and then he had to kind of change that framework that a guy has about, well, what I'm doing and being the boss in this sexual life is not working. So when we learned about, putting the woman and her desires and her feelings and her um, connections with the, with their, her husband, that was the switch for him. That was hard to grasp, but he didn't challenge me a lot. He, he wanted to be in the program and he wanted me to be the leader. I had to learn. That's a big switch to make for you. It is. It was really, it started really feeling big. And then when I started doing it, it didn't feel big at all. It was slow steps. And we're not, we're not, um, like you said, it's a whole lifelong practice. And so when I made the first small steps, it felt huge and great. And then I can make more. And then pretty soon I'll be a diff just very expressive. I think I could be, um, I'm still learning. Yeah. It's a hard one to switch because it, culture says that we should not do that. We should not, mm -hmm. we should center men's experience. And then if you are expressive and you're 
wants and needs in the bedroom, then you're kind of a slut or whatever other words culture loves to place on women. So nice. Could you give some practical examples about some of the steps that the courageous steps you've taken over this course, the course of whim? Well, the first one that hit me really super good and bad, actually, but the good outweighs is finding my personal strength. Um, I am a strong person and I am um, capable of so much, but I put it on hold. I put it to the side. I let him um, dictate and that's not okay. I'm not going to do that anymore. And my personal strength is going to be growing every day. And that's one of the first steps about um, yourself and finding out about female a sexual sexuality. Um, and I loved that learning. That was so good for me. Also, when um, I saw the conflict to connection, we have a way to resolve our conflicts. They don't have to go on for a week. They don't have to go in that circle that goes forever. That conflict to connection is the best thing since sliced bread. It's like you draw your circle and you follow the steps and then things feel better. They they get worked out. So uh, I don't walk around feeling terrible about a, whatever argument we had. It's wonderful. We had we've had some big ones during WIM, <laughs> two really big ones. Um, the other thing is this whole process. The steps help me connect to my husband so much greater, so much closer. Oh, the emotional connection is so wonderful. And do you remember, do you remember any moments like what you said, what he said? Yes, there was one. Um, I was telling him some of my feelings of um, being afraid. And a lot of times when I'm talking about fear, I cry. But he hasn't seen me cry much. And so I just let it out. I let all that kind of bunched up feeling come out. And he looked at me and he said, that is so hard. I never realized. And he said, what do you need? Wow. Whoa. A hug was the first thing. You know, I mean, to not let him know that stuff kept us apart. So that was a big day. And now I'm not afraid to let him see me like that. Because that's how it is in there. <laughs> and he's not going to be shocked either. I mean, you think he was that day, the first one. But um, he took it in stride and he his um, empathy came out. Yeah, I hear a lot of women say, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want him to feel bad. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. And I'm always trying to say, but this is what intimacy is. Intimacy is these raw, difficult, real feelings. And yeah, his feelings may be hurt or he may be shocked like your husband is and wonder, why didn't you tell me this before? Some men think it's a bit of a bait and switch, you know, that or almost 
not telling the truth. But that makes a lot of sense given that they don't understand the cultural climate that women are raised in. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And I think even if they do start out thinking um, you weren't really truthful, they understand the more you at least Nick, uh, my husband does, the more, more I talk, the more he understands and he can piece it together from the past. And he's very understanding. How would you say this is different than what you were trying before? Because you did say, okay, we were going to do it so that when I wanted to have sex, we were going to do it. And then you never had sex. What What's changed now? Um, I guess you could say me. I've changed so much in that I approach it differently. I I feel like I'm a different person with power of my own and desires and likes and dislikes that I can express and not feel like it's wrong because uh, how it's going to be received because I should do it no matter how it's going to be received. That's how I feel. That's what I want. That's, and I should get what I want. And so should, should my husband. And I think you draw those two circles where what you want, um, can interlap or intersect and that Venn diagram is in the middle. That's what you do. And that's what we do. And um, my, my desires matter. So the other way I was forcing myself. And in this way, I listen to myself. I know my feelings. I use my intuition. I connect with my body. All of that is things that I had to learn. Have there been any surprising discoveries about what you do like? Let's see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the leading part is really different. And that is a surprise in itself that I can lead and I can wait for something to signal itself to me that I can go where I want to go with it and feel good in the process. And then if I don't feel good, I don't do it anymore. Um, that's true. New. It's, it's just a new person for me. That's my new person. So that's surprising. A lot of women will say, I don't like anything. Nothing feels good. I don't like it. And, and I'm always trying to say, well, you may not like what you've been told you should like, but there may be a whole other world of pleasures that you haven't even discovered yet because you haven't even stepped into that space. Has there been any touches or um, parts of your body or just, you know, sort of surprising things that have, that you've discovered about yourself? When you said, I don't, like anything, I had about a day of that. And as I got into it, um, into the activities, and I realized that's because I'm still not safe. Oh, yeah. If I'm safe, I will know what I like, and I will discover it, and I will explore it and find out. But if I'm not safe, I'm going to say, oh, I don't want anything. And, you know, my body doesn't feel a thing. The other part is, um, uh, I say when I don't feel pleasure or when I don't feel comfortable, I speak up. 
And it doesn't happen often, at least so far, because I'm directing things. And if something's not um, under my guidance, then it's really not happening. So I don't have to worry about that. But I would say now if if something, some sort of touch or some some um, something needed adjustment. That seems to be your biggest transformation is the way you're using your voice now and communicating. Would you say that? I would. I'd agree. My voice was just packed somewhere inside my body and not not allowed to come out at all. And now I think it's the best thing ever to have one, to have a voice. Yeah. And how's your husband responding to that voice? Good. He loves it. In fact, he said at one point, if we have sex and you don't want to, it's not enjoyable for me, really. If we, if I know that you want to do something, it's ecstasy. It's great. It's, it's what I want to do. And it makes a difference for him. So he's, yeah, that's a big shift for him too, as you described your earlier days. Right. Yeah, that's a big awareness for him. Yeah. Well, I feel like our conversation is wrapping up. Was there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, if you're at all wondering whether I recommend Wim, I just think it's beyond, it's not even a question. If you're struggling with these things, the course is going to affect you and it's going to be positive. And however you do it, however you work through the course is the kind of results you're going to get. And I know any of these paths, even if you took one of the six and used them in your life, you would just go to a positive place. So I want people to know that definitely. And it's not a sex thing to get hung up on the sex because it's really a life thing. And if your life is improved your sex is improved i mean and yeah sex is tricky but you have it you have it in in the materials to help us navigate that mm. and that's what i loved it it was something i could follow and really really grow yeah thank you for sharing that that's really wonderful and I think there are, I think your voice is really important here too, because there are a lot of women who have been married as long as you have. And a lot of them feel like it's a little too late. What would you say to them for a last? I'd say it's never too late. You have all these wonderful years to have your husband to yourself and to learn how to just re- enjoy that and make it a beautiful time. And Uh, that's what I'm grateful for because now we do have time and we're going to enjoy it so much. Yeah. Diane, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. You're welcome. I loved it. Okay. Take care everyone. And thank you for listening and I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, I have a favor to ask of you. 
It's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex. What would really, really help is if you would leave a rating and a review. And I know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts, but please, I beg you, it would really, really help so that more women who need this message will hear it. All you have to do is go into your Apple podcast app. It's the purple icon. And if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face, and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janetdentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the waitlist, to learn more, to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.